Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of true Bible-believing Christians. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you guys so much, especially since we've been shadow banned on Facebook and we're suppressed in many ways on social media. We thank you for sharing the podcast. It's been an amazing a year, year and a half, and we have, we have a lot of new listeners, and it's because of you we put no advertising dollars out. Uh, you're the ones that get the word out about this podcast, and uh, we're blessed to be able to have people in from different states, not only listening online, but they are supporting us financially. So thank you guys so very much. Can't wait to get to our guest today. Did you know that every Black Life Matters, and of course, all lives matter. We're going to talk about that with our very special guest in just a minute. Uh, Lord God, thank you that you are the God of the universe. Thank you for your sovereignty, your faithfulness. Thank you that you can do so much more above and beyond what we can ask or think according to the power of your Holy Spirit that works in us. And I thank you that, Jesus, when you sent your Holy Spirit, we have everything we need for this short temporary life for godliness and to discern the times and to be able to respond. So, Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom today and every day. We thank you for your blessings. And in this country, in America, Lord, help us do the hard thing and and not take our freedoms for granted. And just give us wisdom for today. Uh, Help us know how to point others to the truth, Jesus, one day at a time. Thank you for your purpose in our lives In Jesus' name, amen. Today's guest, we can't wait to get to Kevin McCary. He's the president and co-founder of Every Black Life Matters. He's also the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California. Now, his background is fascinating. He's got over 35 years in IT, and some of his expertise includes cybersecurity and application development automation. He's also an author. He's got a couple books out. One of them is The War on Women from the Root to the Fruit, Which Side Are You On? And also a previous book, Justly Justice, Social Justice, Racial Justice, Human Rights Done. Kevin is an entrepreneur, an author, and uh, we can't wait to uh, just open up this conversation today. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on Stand Up for the Truth. Oh, thank you for having me, David. It's such an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. Well, it's a blessing on our end because we've been talking about these issues for quite some time. We've, we're very pro-life. We've talked about Margaret Sanger and what the Planned Parenthood is doing and um, everything from them getting our tax dollars to uh, the most recent push of uh, Black Lives Matter, the global Marxist-driven network that's really taking not only the culture by storm, but the church. So, Kevin, before we get into this, and I thank you for this organization, Every Black Life Matters. I love it. Tell us a little bit about your background. It's very interesting to us um, who are involved some to some degree in technology that you've been in IT for 35 years. Share with us a, a part of your journey and what brought you to this now, your organization, Every Black Life Matters. Oh, yes, yes. Um, that That's actually a great question, and it I think it'll really help uh, set us up for the rest of the, the conversation here yes. for this uh, the rest of the time. So uh, I was born in uh, Hunter's Point in San Francisco, which is project housing. I was born in, into abject poverty in the uh, 1960s. And um, so I was uh, uh, and then, you know, by the time I was eight, we moved to a lower middle class uh, community still in San Francisco. So I was uh, went to public school and did all of your basic urban, um, you know, black urban youth uh, type stuff um, and was uh, reckless and, and crazy and, and really did a lot of, um, you know, kind of, you know, your, your, your basic urban, if you, if you saw boys of boys from the hood, hmm. that kind of stuff, it's, uh, you know, the kind of stuff I participated in anyway. Wow. Um, and uh, went to, uh, after I graduated high school, went to San Jose State, got a socio- sociology degree. Uh, and realized uh, after I graduated, I can't do anything with a sociology degree and decided to get into IT. Hmm. Um, but the, the, the point I'd like all your listeners to understand is when I went to San Jose State and with my 
uh, upbringing and, and inner city and that uh, being in abject poverty, I fully understand uh, poverty. I fully understand um, uh, leftism and progressivism. And certainly having a sociology degree, uh, I get it to a T. So, mm-hmm. so I was, uh, that was part of my early life. Uh, by the time I got married in the uh, mid-1980s, um, uh, my wife, who came from inner city Detroit, uh, and I uh, really wanted to take God's God at His word, and um, we decided that we would live strictly biblically. So we started uh, being disciples and participating participating in discipleship. And uh, it's like the Lord lifted the veil on our eyes and said, "Look, uh, you guys have put all of these other areas of your life uh, at at the cross, but this one area, this civic engagement, political uh, affiliation, this political piece, you haven't." done anything with that and so he lifted our lifted the veils and we were able to see that a lot of the things that we thought were were true a lot of the things we thought we stood for um you know just really didn't ring true and uh, we began to make different decisions as far as uh, civic engagement at that point hmm. and so um <clears throat> we understand that not everyone uh, clearly not everyone goes through that kind of a transition where God himself will lift the veil and say, look, you need to look at this. <clears throat> but for us, that's what he did. Wow. And um, by God's grace, then I began to write, write conservatively, uh, not, not per se looking at any particular party or any particular uh, leanings, but it just so happens that uh, when you start to realize strictly in the word of God, there's, there's a certain uh, sort of conservative modality that comes out of that. And so, uh, so most of the books I've written, um, uh, you know, have that kind of slant to it, even though they're not overtly political or meant to be political at all. Um, there's, there's clearly, um, a conservative, uh, gospel oriented, uh, frame that's presented. And so, um, so, so did that. And, uh, then from one of my earlier books, uh, I was uh, approached by the Frederick Douglass Foundation. They asked me to open up the California chapter. It was 12, maybe 13 years ago now. And uh, opened up the California chapter for the Frederick Douglass Foundation. I've been the uh, chairman and uh, president since that time. And uh, uh, fundamentally what we're trying to do is to just get churches to not, not vote party or, or anything like that, but just vote the principles of the gospel. That's right. And to, and to encourage urban churches, which it's, it's very, very difficult because uh, fundamentally they bow at the altar of a particular party. And um, so it's very, very difficult for them to see the Word of God as the Word of God, the source of truth, and to strictly make their voting decisions and their civic engagement based upon the Word of God alone. Not party, but the Word of God. Mm. And um, uh, as, as, as uh, for your people in your audience will probably think, well, that's of course, yeah, that's that's not a big deal. But for people that are smitten with party and smitten with uh, leftist progressivism and know that it's antithetical when they try to uh, do a, uh, you know, a cross-coordination, if you will, with uh, the Word of God and the gospel and compared to their, their real religion, which is their party, um, it puts them in quite a quandary. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's, that's a little bit difficult for some some black and brown pastors to really make that transition. But uh, we're still in that fight. And so after we did that, um, you know, fast forward now, uh, we had what happened last year. Everybody was horrified by uh, what we saw for that nine and a half minutes or so. And and, uh, we began to see that there were uh, a lot of violence, uh, a lot of uh, people who just happened to lack melanin were being set up on by mobs and um, their their dinners disturbed and their tables overturned and all this kind of stuff. So we saw the riots, the violence. Uh, We saw black and brown businesses burned to the ground while BLM were uh, just uh, having a good old uh, street party at their demise. And so we said, look, people are going to be looking for a faithful and righteous uh, alternative to Black Lives Matter when they actually go to the BLM website uh, they're going to see that uh, these folks do not really care about black life. They, by their own admission, they only care about um, uh, police brutality and especially just white on black citizen police brutality. Yes. It's a very, very narrow focus. And we thought, 
we needed to have a real righteous and faithful alternative, a biblical alternative to BLM. So uh, we prayed about it, and the Lord uh, told us, look, stay in the same lane. Uh, BLM just happens to have a lot of momentum and a lot of funding in, in that. So we didn't want to have um, a name that would take us really outside of the direct confrontation. Hmm. So uh, he gave us Every Black Life Matters, and the rationale is this, is before anybody could say Black Lives Matter generally, they would have to believe uh, that every single black life matters specifically. And if they don't believe that, then they're hypocrites, political opportunists, uh, political activists, and uh, and they're, you know, you can just call them out on their contradictions. But fundamentally, everybody that we've talked to that really believe that black lives matter, they have to believe that every single black life matters. And when they agree with us to that point, we explain what that means. That means from the womb to the tomb, from conception to natural death. And, um, and then we go into why that's important and where the finer distinctions are. Uh, some of the people in your audience may say, well, I don't, still don't know why you would use race at all in your moniker. And here's what I would say to those people. As you've said uh, appropriately at the top of the, of the, the hour here, um, before, of course, every single life matters, all lives matter. But um, let's, let's imagine that we all had uh, a community of tract homes and we said, look, all of our tract homes matter equally. They're tract homes. They all have you know, equal footing. Uh, all of them matter. Well, let's say one of them caught fire. What would we do if we believe that all the homes in our community matter and they matter equally? Uh, we'd all take up our hoses and, and pails and we'd go and put out the fire. Uh, so that's the analogy that we have with, hmm. with keeping the name Every Black Life Matters. The, the, the issue is, is the black community is on fire. Mm -hmm. uh, when Margaret Sanger said, I want to fully exterminate the Negro population, she didn't say, I want to fully exterminate blacks and Chinese and Asians and, and Hispanics. She said, I want to fully exterminate the Negro population. That means that there's a specific, strategic, purposeful plight that's directed at the black community that everyone, if you, if you say all lives matter, uh, everyone should be concerned about that. Yes. Means that we have to all stand up for that. When we uh, see black and brown communities are tethered literally to the educational system and not afforded the same opportunities as many other uh, people because they, they don't necessarily have the economic base that would support $25,000, $30,000 a year K-12 education, um, then we know that there's strategic uh, plight that's specifically directed at, at black and brown communities to keep us <clears throat> tethered to those um, public school systems so the, the coffers for those uh, elected officials can continue to be uh, proffered up by the NEA and the other, uh, you know, teachers unions. Yes. And that. So anyway, there is specific plight uh, in the black community that is unique. It is not. Um, every Every community doesn't undergo that. Not every community has been targeted by Sanger and Planned Parenthood. So that's why it's important that we specifically address the issues that are specifically focused in on the black community. Because, as you've said, all lives matter, right? Absolutely. That's what we do. Well, that's the biblical worldview. And uh, by the way, we're speaking with Kevin McGarry. He's the president and co-founder of EBLM, Every Black Life Matters. And I want to read a couple points from your vision and your mission on your website, and then quote you and have you respond. And by the way, thank you for bringing up Margaret Sanger. It's been 100 years now that uh, she coined the term birth control, then she started uh, the American Federation of, uh, of Planned Parenthood or something. Uh, she started about 1921, and the clinics that she put in minority neighborhoods had a purpose. She was a eugenicist and a racist, and we have to tell that truth because people are shoving that aside and thinking Planned Parenthood today has nothing to do with its founder. So, Kevin, thank you. But your vision says to help individuals in the black community grow and prosper in mind, body, and spirit by eliminating disproportional injustices that hinder black advancement and under mission, uh, protect black life from conception, thank you, very important, to death by confronting injustice and deconstructing barriers inside and outside the black community. One of those barriers, of course, is the idolatry 
uh, the loyalty to the Democrat Party. Here's your quote. When there are injustices, they must be dealt with. But all attempts to create an artificial racial divide must be met with strong resistance or our nation will crumble and be taken over by totalitarianism. Kevin McGarry, please expound on that. Yeah, so um, I think it's, it's the perfect segue into what we see right now, which is critical race theory rampaging in every area and domain of society. Uh, critical race theory is a racist um, uh, sort of a theory, if you will, uh, that is targeted at, at whiteness. Uh, literally, they want to cancel whites. And so some of your listeners may say, well, that's interesting. Uh, I haven't heard of CRT actually doing that. Well, when you, when you actually say that uh, the, what Dr. Martin Luther King encouraged and admonished us to do in the mid-1960s, which was to uh, judge one another based on the content of our character as opposed to the color of our skin, when you literally say now, well, no, that's not acceptable, uh, that was flawed. Um, we, we, we actually need to go back to judging one another strictly based on the color of our skin. We need to be able to judge um, uh, one another strictly based on if you're an oppressor or you have uh, uh, certain means or some sort of wealth quotient uh, compared to others, that we need to be able to judge you, castigate you, demonize you, uh, silence you. Um, you begin to see that this is this is not your sort of benign. Uh, we just want people to become culturally sensitive kind of a, a discussion. Literally, what we're doing is we're encouraging hate, yes. literal hate, uh, for people who just happen to like melanin. They had, they uh, you know they, they show up and we're saying, up, oh, they're white. They're to be distrusted. Um, they're to be silenced, uh, they're to be uh, maligned as oppressors, uh, they are privileged and, su- and supremacists. And, um, and, and when we see that, we, we all need to stand against that because there's nothing good that comes out of racism. Mm. Uh, we've learned, you, you would have thought that we've learned yeah. those lessons before. That's right. But, uh, but now these, these academic talking heads and these intellectuals, they are really, really working hard to get us to the point of uh, uh, revolution in our streets and Marxist revolution. And so this is one of their convenient ways to try to, you know, push us over that that edge into that into that realm so we can actually, you know, start to participate in the global sort of uh, great reset mm-hmm. uh, type activities that they'd like to do. So. Um, so anyway, uh, they think that the, the best, easiest, fastest way at the moment is to drive uh, race wars within our communities. And we, and especially we as people of faith, need to understand that this is completely antithetical. This is de- demonic evil. Yes. Um, and we need to stand against it. Now, we have a little bit of an issue because a lot of our um, um, men, and, men and women of faith are graduating seminaries now where they're actually being taught critical race theory and liberation theology, black liberation theology. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, my, me and my co-founder are going around the country and we're helping people understand that these are not complementary uh, sort of theologies to the gospel. These are completely alternative uh, religious foundations unto themselves. They are uh, completely demonic uh, and cultish uh, in, in their own right. Uh, and we actually, we don't just make those assertions, we confirm it historically, we show uh, individuals where these things come from and how they're being manifested today. And so these are the types of conversations we love to have, but at the end of the day, we, you know, you, to your question, the main point is, is uh, critical race theory and all of the other sort of race agitation that's going on, it is purposeful, it is being uh, proffered by the leftist progressive uh, Democrats, mm-hmm. and they would love nothing more than to destroy America by way of its um, um, having revolution uh, in its streets, person to person, community to community, and uh, city to city. So uh, we need to stand against this, and the way that we do that is become activists. Uh, on our website, everyblm.com, we actually offer uh, resources. Uh, you go to our resources tab, and Great. we have uh, pre-templated letters for uh, community activists, mothers, and and those things. To and they're already pre-written with the CRT nomenclature on it. 
and uh, you can just put your name on it and send it to your school boards and your city councils and federal uh, you know representatives and whoever. Uh, and there's a number of scenarios in there that would fit you. So I would encourage your listeners to do that as well. Great. And before we go to our break, I just want to read some of the principles that are on your website, everyblm.com. Real justice from womb to the tomb, the nuclear family, active fatherhood, free markets, educational choice, criminal justice reform, and nonviolence. So we are speaking with Kevin McGarry. He's the founder and president of Every Black Life Matters. And we're going to talk about the Frederick, the Frederick Douglass Foundation a little bit when we come back. More on critical race theory. Why is the Biden administration and the U.S. Department of Education pushing this? And a whole lot more on this topic when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. I hope you're enjoying this conversation and learning from our president, the president and co-founder of Every Black Lives Matter, today's guest, Kevin McGarry. Uh, we are going to talk about critical race theory a little bit more, um, Lord willing, but I think it's important to go back and talk about some history. And um, Kevin, I was telling you during the break that last year I went to a conference in Texas. It was at Liberty Pastors, and which is a great organization. I encourage your pastor to go check it out if you're listening, uh, Liberty Pastors. But K. Carl Smith explained the Frederick Douglass Republican and that viewpoint because so many people have believed lies and deception about who he uh, was and what he stood for. So, Kevin, could you share a little bit of that history before we go on? Yeah, you bet. You bet. So uh, the, the history of Frederick Douglass is so rich. I mean, there's so many pivot points. There's so many uh, really indelible moments of his life that we can learn from. He was a real, he was the quintessential patriot and hero, um, so much so that he was the most photographed person in the 19th century. So it was, uh, he was an amazing, wow. amazing man. Hmm. When you consider the fact that he was uh, uh, escaped, uh, he was born into slavery and then escaped slavery, ultimately uh, became an honored, um, uh, protected guest, if you will, of the UK, of, of, of Britain. Uh, and um, actually um, toured uh, m- much of Europe, including spending a lot of time in Ireland and, and Scotland and other places uh, in the 1800s as an escaped slave, as a black man. Uh, when you couple that with, with, with that, I mean, it's really astounding uh, how God raised him up, protected him, and brought him forth as, as such a, an incredible um, um, testimony, really, for, for us all. Um, that, um, you know, irrespective of the circumstances we're born into, we can always attend and achieve what God wants and needs us to be for his own sovereign purposes. Mm. And uh, Frederick Douglass is a perfect example of that. When he came back to the United States, he he started his own business. He became an entrepreneur, started his own business. It was a uh, publishing business, and he did a newspaper and, and sort of a, a magazine type of a scenario. And uh, uh, President Abraham Lincoln had heard of uh, Douglas. Douglas actually showed up at the White House one day, and uh, President Lincoln, um, you know, invited him in. Um, and and because his Secret Service men said, "Hey, you know, there's this black guy out here, and he says he he wants to have time with you." Um, and, uh, when they, when they told, uh, Abraham Lincoln, his name, he says, Douglas, Frederick Douglas is here. <laughs> and, and he says, Oh my God. He says, yeah, bring him in, bring him in. And when Douglas walked into the office, he stood up and he says, the honorable Frederick Douglas. And, uh, Douglas, uh, said the honorable, uh, president, uh, Lincoln, they had uh, an easy, uh, quick, kindred spirit and friendship that, that mm. started from that. Lincoln actually exposed to him what he wanted to do with the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm. Douglas basically admonished him, actually, and said, look, um, you are not going to get this through Congress. Because, you know, Lincoln says, hey, you know, this is the master plan. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and send this to Congress and we'll get this, uh, you know, passed. And, uh, and and Douglas knew that their Congress and, and their Senate offices were, uh, and back then, were just as dysfunctional as they still are now. And he told them, look, <laughs> we're going to have hundreds of thousands of more slaves like me 
being killed, maimed, lynched uh, before you would get this passed. This is the single most important executive order that you can do, and you, you must do this through executive order. So he wow. was the one that encouraged him to do it. Hmm. And um, so Lincoln actually did it based on D- Douglas's uh, encouragement to do it that way. And to this day, it is the single most important uh, executive order. Yes. Um, so they had a great uh, friendship uh, from that. Uh, Douglas um, became had uh, you know, he was the first uh, uh, ambassador, uh, African-American ambassador. He was the first African-American vice president uh, that was nominated. I'm sure that some of your listeners really thought that the current uh, installed vice president was actually not the first nominated uh, black, uh, but it was actually Douglas. Douglas. Hmm. Um, he was the first. Um, uh, he was the first uh, 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 executive at a at a, at a bank. Uh, he was the first uh, uh, in the U.S. Marshal's office. The first black executive in the U.S. Marshal. So he had, he had so many firsts. Um, he was just an amazing man. Um, and I would encourage anybody that wants to read a story, just go to My Freedom, My Bondage. Uh, by Frederick Douglass, you get a nice oversight overview of his life. It's his autobiography, and um, and so he's you know because of who he was and because he actually did become a Republican and conservative and a, just an incredible thinker. Um, a lot of things that we do within the Frederick Douglass Foundation is based on the legacy of Douglass, and we mm. try to encourage people to become uh, thoughtful and provocative and and uh, principled like Douglas was. So we, we do it based on his legacy. Praise God. Thank you for that important work and uh, bringing back true history. And by the way, I think we need to go there, Kevin. Um, in, in this printout that I got from you, actually, that's an article over at the stream that I read, but I also got something from uh, Jackie at Truth PR. Remember which party is historically anti-black. And I think because of uh, the deception and so many people that have believed the lies from the, the liberal media and Hollywood and, and all the others. I think I'd like to go through some of these bullet points that I received. Uh, actually, they're in this article. Um, the Most people that support critical race theory typically identify with or support the Democrat Party. Now, they either don't know or they don't admit how the Democrats have ties to actual systemic racism since the early 1800s. Could you go through some of these bullet points about yeah. uh, the South supporting slavery and the, some of the amendments, please. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so real quick, and I, I, I know you're, you're probably short on time, but man, I can just keep going and going because this is just a fantastic opportunity for us to get the truth out. Uh, so, the reality is, is that uh, critical race theorists and these purported intellectuals who would push this nonsense on us wants us to believe that every single white person. Uh, is guilty of oppression uh, because of what happened with their ancestors in the 1800s. Now, the reality is, is that if we're just to put on our thinking caps for a little bit, we recognize that there was a literal civil war, uh, which means you actually had two sides, which means that you actually had one faction Hmm. that was uh, extremely passionate about keeping blacks enslaved and and doing and, and wanting the worst for blacks. And there was one side that says, I will put our life on the line, our legacy, our homes, our homesteads for future generations in order to help set the blacks free. Um, and so there was that one particular faction that started in the uh, sort of 1820s. Um, and they they wanted to encourage slavery. Uh, they wanted to elongate slavery. They really felt that blacks were less than human. They were the epitome of white supremacists. Uh, they were the epitome of racist, hateful, bigoted people, and um, and they began to put their judges in place. And when we had mm. very specific legislation like Plessy versus Ferguson, Dred Scott, Jim Crow, Black Codes, all of these things that could have made a difference with black plight uh, during the slavery era, um, their progressive judges uh, really voted against them. This particular faction as well, uh, when we did have President Abraham Lincoln, uh, he did sign off on 40 acres and a mule for uh, for blacks coming out of Reconstruction after Civil War. Explain that, and, Kevin. And, the yeah. 40 acres and a so mule. That, that means that every black household would receive some land and, <clears throat> excuse me, and a mule, 40, 40 acres and a mule. Um, and it was it was separate from the Homestead Act. The Homestead Act also passed, um, and uh, 40 acres and a mule, in principle, was just going to give 
blacks a head start on on being able to establish their lives as freed mm. persons. Interesting. And um, his his vice president, however, was of this particular mindset of this hateful white supremacist faction. And um, <clears throat> so when Lincoln was um, assassinated, his vice president took 40 acres and a mule off the table. We did pass the Homestead Act. The Homestead Act is federal lands set aside to help uh, a lot of these enslaved families during Reconstruction. But the overseers of that were of this particular faction, this mm-hmm. particular mindset. And these people decided that we don't want to give blacks a head start. We don't even like blacks. We hate them. Wow. And therefore, the newly immigrated Europeans that came over received these large parcels of federal lands and the ability to, to establish their lives here in America. So this particular faction is so hateful that by overwhelming majorities, they voted down the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendment. amendment. It just so happens, however, that we had uh, enough of, of the folks on the other side uh, who were really true anti-racist and who were really um, uh, standing up. They were abolitionists and standing up for black families, and so they... Uh, by overall majorities voted for the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. So we got those amendments passed. Thank God. Um, when the early 1900s happened and during the times of Reconstruction, this particular uh, nefarious faction decided that, look, blacks are free, but we, we need to do as much as we can to harm them and keep them enslaved. So we're going to stand up uh, the KKK as our militia. Mm. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll keep those folks in order. Uh, and then when uh, in the early 1900s, when eugenicists came, uh, became popular, this particular faction uh, glommed on to eugenics and to this very day are very much a part of the eugenics movement, uh, especially as it relates to uh, maligning blacks. So, um, so you know, history is, is inconvenient uh, to a lot of the CRT adherents because the reality is, is that Yes, there were some white racist supremacists during the 1800s, um, and, but it wasn't every white person. It was a particular faction, and it was a particular faction that most, if not all, I would say all of CRT proponents have tethered themselves to to this very day. Mm. Therefore, you will never find in their writings. Uh, I've read Kindy, I've read uh, D'Angelo, I've read some of Eric Bell. You will never ever find that they, when they speak of slavery, that they actually pin it down to the actual root cause of who did it, mm. uh, who elongated it, who fully supported it, and who continues to malign blacks and black communities to this very day. They will never ever do that, which shows us one thing. These people are unprincipled, they're liars, they're deceivers, they're hateful, um, and they don't care about blacks, really. Uh, All they want is that Marxist revolution. Mm -hmm. Um, And so so I hope that makes sense. Yes. And I had a very specific reason for not mentioning uh, the particular faction and mindset, because I'd love for your readers to go out and do their own research. (laughs) Just, Just go out and do your own research and do that. And um, and the other thing is, is every time I mention that particular faction, people say, oh, yeah, see, see, see. No, he's political. He's No, no, this is not a political discussion. This is history. This is a history discussion yes. that we're having here. Yes. And so uh, do your own research. You know, come to your own truth. Uh, not your own truth, but come to the truth Amen. about what happened. Thank you. And, uh, and then, you know, deal with it. Um, Kevin, I just want to quote Booker T. Washington, a former slave, and uh, page 144 of his book, My Larger Education, he said this, There is another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Having learned that they are able to make a living out of their troubles, they have grown into the settled habit of advertising their wrongs, partly because they want sympathy and partly because it pays. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs. End quote. I think of uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton and so many others. Would you like to comment on that? Because that's really what you're alluding to. If these people are going around talking about critical race theory and they are not pointing to true history or really explaining in full context what happened, then they are wanting to keep this going, aren't they? Or do, don't they? Yeah, they're abs- they absolutely are. We have a lot of charlatans out there, uh, Sharpton, uh, Jackson, mm-hmm. these, these guys, as well as the CRT guys, uh, D'Angelo and, and um, 
uh, Ibram X. Kendi, these, these folks are uh, really the worst of uh, manipulators, and they're defrauding the public of, of real history. Um, these teachers' unions should know better. They should know history uh, themselves as well, and yet uh, they are pushing this racist garbage, and it's racist. Uh, it's purely racist and purely, in my opinion, white supremacist for uh, these CRT uh, proponents uh, uh, to to push the garbage that they're pushing on the, the the country. It's really amazing that we hear so much talk about uh, systemic racism, mm-hmm. and you know what actually fits that definition to a T? It is critical race theory. Now, let me tell you why, because mm. uh, I don't want your 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 listeners to think, oh, this guy's just hyperbolic. No, let's let's just talk about that. Systemic means up, down, in and out, through and through. Everyone within the system yes. is fighting or marching to the beat of the of the system, the goal of the system. Within a CRT, every person, everyone who really is a proponent of it uh, is marching to the beat of having, of wanting and desiring to fully cancel whiteness, just strictly based on skin color. We have the right to hate, disdain, uh, demoralize, whites. This is their mindset. This, by any definition, is racist. And by any definition, then, if with system, if systemic racism means everyone within the system is marching to the same hymnal, so to speak, then that means that all uh, CRT proponents are actually, literally, the systemic racist among us today. And, um, so CRT is racist. It is systemically racist. It actually fits their definition. And when they talk about systemic racism, they're doing nothing else other than uh, manipulation and deflection on their own racist, uh, wretched souls. Mm. And they're not allowing it to be fully exposed. But we, as thinkers, got to think through it and really call them out on this foolishness. Wow. Thank you so much, Kevin. And I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I want to see if we can hold you over through the next segment. Do you still have a little bit more time? I do. Oh, yes, thank you. Do. Thank you so very much. Before we take a break, um, how can people get you to help? I see on the website there's church training and other resources available at everyblacklifematters.com. How can people contact you about, as far as church training and get more information? Yeah, so here's here's the thing. We have a training that's called Remnant Rising. What we do is we actually come, we set up uh, within your church environment and your community environment for a full day. We actually go through a full de- deconstruction of critical race theory, uh, liberation theology, slash black liberation theology, and also we do a compare and contrast with social justice versus biblical justice. We actually address all of the cultural social ills uh, in relation to our faith foundations, to AT, we get every question on the table, hmm. and we fully address it. You can uh, just write us uh, via the website that way. We encourage you to go to everyblm.com. If you want to partner with us, please join us. We have a partner site as well. Uh, we have a number of resources there that you can download, share, and uh, support us in any uh, any meaningful ways you would like to do that as well. We also have a CRT conference tomorrow wow. that your listeners can join online. Great. Uh, uh, so it's online registration for that, and we would love to have your listeners be a part of that. We're going through the entire day, and it, it'll be fantastic. So uh, those those are ways that your listeners can get involved. All right, we're going to talk more with Kevin McGarry, president and co-founder of Every Black Life Matters, and also chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California, and some headlines also related to what we're talking about when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Kevin McGarry, Every Black Life Matters. It's everyblm.com if you want to go and check that out. There are resources there. There are videos. There's corporate training. There's church training And before we get back to Kevin, just some headlines. We were going to talk about this today. We're going to push this till next week. A lot of things going on. Um, The Hobby Lobby, they're facing a backlash because of their One Nation Under God ad, believe it or not. And that you might be going, wait a minute, how who's uh, against that? Well, we'll we'll get to that if you haven't heard that news story. Also, Donald Trump, uh, God bless him for doing this. there's a big tech lawsuit. He says he will prove censorship is unlawful and unconstitutional. So he filed a lawsuit, which is great. I'm thankful against Facebook, Twitter, Google, 
Um, now that's down in Florida. I don't know how that's going to work out. But we'll talk about that. Plus, here's an interesting one that may be able to uh, talk, come into our current conversation, Kevin. Black Lives Matter. There's a chapter that declared the American flag a symbol of hatred. So let's start there because a, a poll yeah. just came out last week, actually just after the 4th of July, that over a quarter of young people today between the ages of 18 and 25 say they are not proud to be American. And I'm thinking, yeah. man, man, go live in a communist country or a third world country. They don't know our true history. Um, yeah. They can take the blessings for granted and live with their freedoms and uh, dump on the country that is blessing them. But what are your thoughts on, first of all, that idea that young people just don't know true history, so they're not proud of America? And this Black Lives Matter chapter, and I have a feeling it's not just one that would declare the American flag a symbol of hatred. Yes, yeah. So uh, basically what we're seeing are the outcomes of uh, really sending our children to uh, education, higher education, and allowing uh, really culture to, and their Marxist professors and Marxist teachers to really shape uh, their uh, reality and their thought processes. Uh, we, we as parents, uh, by and large, are making a generalization here, but we failed to really inculcate our children from the rigors and woes of Marxism. And uh, the Marxists have had uh, probably about a hundred year head start on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, yes. They've had this strategy in mind for quite some time. And we naively think that we can send our children to any public school or any university and they'll actually get uh, you know, truth and history and that, and they don't. And so what we see are people that are now either self-loathing because of CRT and they're, if they're white, they're loathing their own personal history and their, their family history and, and themselves. And then of course, America. And uh, if they are other nationalities, they're hating the country just because uh, they believe that we're all colonizers and this and that. What I encourage people to understand is the fact that uh, during a revolutionary war, uh, there were very, um, you know, there were freed black men that fought on with George Washington uh, as he crossed Delaware and did so many of the major uh, pursuits during the Revolutionary War. There were black heroes that we mm. don't know about who uh, fought for this country um, in order to to establish our freedoms and our independence mm. uh, from Britain at the time. And uh, they they wrapped themselves in that flag. They They themselves, after fighting with um, uh, President George Washington, uh, which was General George Washington at the time, after they'd done that, they, they literally wrapped themselves in a flag and they identified wholly and completely with the flag. We also had, during the Civil War, the same uh, sort of contingent. We had the Black Regiment, we had uh, uh, a number of, of blacks uh, who were either newly emancipated or fighting for their emancipation, who fought on the side mm-hmm. of the of the North, the abolitionists, the Republicans, in order to set themselves free. And uh, they they literally folded themselves in a flag. They proudly heralded mm. the American flag. Wow. And so the flag is about independence, freedom. Um, and, and, and to some degree it has, uh, you know, nationalism, there's a national identity tied, uh, attached to it. That is something to be proud of. Sure, surely if we had blacks that fought and would envelop themselves, even at the time in that flag, yeah. after they've went through the rigors and woes, uh, during that time, how dare us think that today we can dismiss not only their sacrifices, but what they identified with and uh, now say, oh, no, the American flag is racist. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a revisionist history. This yes. is, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, academics that are trying to, again, their main focus is to, is to cause a revolution in the streets of America. So these are, you know, just appendages of, uh, and print pricks of that overall desire to see America collapse. It's not... Uh, principled on anything. It's just uh, another way that they can sort of start to collapse our social and cultural fabric. That's right. And you brought up Marxism. And one of the things that the left has been successful at infiltrating the country, uh, you've, you've got to almost mention Antonio Gramsci, who was an Italian Marxist Communist Party of Italy uh, founder, I believe. He was an atheist, philosopher, 
And uh, he believed and knew that America would never be defeated militarily. So in order to overthrow the greatest nation, Marxists had to destroy the traditional family, weaken our biblical morality, infiltrate churches, schools, media, entertainment, literature, and academia. And they did. He's famous for the thought of this the agenda as a long evolutionary march through the major institutions in America in order to break down the wall of Christianity over generations. And they've been successful, but let's focus on the church, Kevin, as one of those institutions. The cultural Marxism has been very effective here in America, sad to say, and one of those institutions that has been affected, and we are now almost seeing a division is the church, evangelical churches and some denominations. Yep. We're seeing that. I would love for you to share your thoughts on that and give us some insights on this battle within the church. Yeah, first of all, we have to understand as principled people of faith that there's no such thing as having a woke church. Mm. Uh, if you have a pastor that says, hey, you know, I'm woke, I'm with what's happening in culture, uh, please get away from that. We have <laughs> our marching orders it is founded in biblical truth. It does not change. There's no such thing as a progressive gospel. Uh, the gospel is the gospel. It stands yesterday, today, and forever. And um, and so we have to commit within ourselves that as we start to hear foolishness over the pulpit, uh, now we can be uh, sort of genteel, but we need to confront these pastors and say, look, um, can you please explain to me where social justice is in the Bible. Hmm. I don't see, I've been looking and I can't find social justice in here, Pastor. Can you help me with that? Uh, Can you please help me understand why you think that there's certain elements of critical race theory that are appropriate for the gospel? When the gospel, when Paul admonished in Galatians 1.8 and 1.9, that even if an angel from heaven adds one iota of a gospel other than what he is he and his comrades had preached they are accursed to hell amen mr pastor can you please help me understand why you would say there are elements of critical race theory or liberation theology that we should and can pay attention to because if that's the case you sir are cursed to hell and anyone that would imbibe what you're saying is also being cursed and so this is very, very important, Mr. Pastor. Can you please help us with this? Mm. Um, when we see in, in, in Romans 1.8 that God himself, and this is what uh, <laughs> the Holy Spirit spoke to me a few weeks ago. He says, look, if the God of the universe who created all men said, look, um, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, how dare us actually condemn others within the body of Christ Mm. as being uh, privileged, as being racist, as being uh, supremacist, uh, when God himself, who created us, says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. How dare us? We are subverting God yes. himself. Do you understand? This is a very, very serious charge. Yes, it is. And, and um, when we, uh, within the body of Christ, are so guilted, that we say, well, you know, I just feel bad for, you know, these people because this, this, this and this. Uh, when we, I don't know about you, uh, David, but when I came to the Lord, you know, I was told, look, bring all of your uh, your sins, your guilt, your shame, everything laid at the altar mm-hmm. and be made new. And uh, that means that Jesus did that once and for all. How Amen. dare us then pick up the guilt of this culture and say we're guilted into feeling one way or another. What we're basically saying is Jesus was not enough. Amen. Because if you laid it all at the altar, wow. your guilt, all of that is gone. Yes. How dare you pick it up? Jesus is looking at us with, he's flummoxed. He's like, what in the world? I cringed you of all guilt, and yet you have the audacity to come before all of humanity and say, no, I want to pick up this guilt because blacks feel bad. Are you kidding me? Mm. I mean, we are we are so messed up over this stuff, yes. and the enemy is having a belly laugh over it because, as we know, uh, Revelations twelve, that he is the accuser of the brethren, and we literally have people within the body of Christ doing all of his bidding for. He can sit and, and smoke a cigar while we accuse one another, doing all of his work within the body of Christ. 
you understand how preposterous we've become? Mm. This is this is unbelievable what we're seeing right yes. now. Yes, yes, it so is. So excuse me for being adamant, but no, um, no apologies needed. I, I thank you for your passion, Kevin. You've got such an important voice, and I'm just so blessed that you took the time to be with us on Standard for the Truth today. And I want to close with a quote from uh, some information I got from Every Black Life Matters. It says, the schemes to exterminate blacks, coupled with the fact that blacks have suffered an indiscriminate and dis- disproportional loss of over 25 million via abortion, is what motivates every Black Life Matters to stand for black life and for justice for all. And then it asks the question, are you with us? So if you want yeah. more information on Kevin McGarry and his organization, bringing them to your church uh, getting information, getting involved in, in that session, the conference you just mentioned earlier, go to everyblm.com. Kevin, we, uh, God willing, we'll have to have you back again. So much good information. God bless you, sir, and, and continue to uh, encourage you and, and lead you in this ministry. Thanks for all the work that you're doing. God bless you, David. Thank you so much for having me. It was real, real pleasure, and I look forward to coming back. Praise God. You're most welcome. When we come back, we're going to let you know who our guests are next week on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. If, if you are blessed by what you just heard from Kevin McGarry, share this podcast. I, I'm just, I got to go back and listen to it again. He shared some great information and important history that we need to get out there, especially to this younger generation that, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of them are clueless about our true history in America. But um, a spoiler alert, uh, I'm going to tell you that it was the Republican Party that led the fight uh, when it comes to abolition of slavery, when it comes to women's suffrage, and when it comes to civil rights. And we've, too many people have bought the lies. So that's what Kevin was talking about when he was mentioning the faction, uh, the Democrat Party, that was fighting against it. So Ron Jung will be with us on Monday. He's with Providence Academy. And Mark Murano a brand new first-time guest. Uh, Boy, he's got a lot of truthful information about, quote, climate change. Is it an existential threat (laughs) to humanity? We'll talk with Mark Morano Tuesday. Um, Next Wednesday, I don't remember. I think it's Jason Jimenez, but I'm not sure. Carl Kirby, Reasons for Hope. Oh, I'm sorry. Next, Next Wednesday, it's Steve Smotherman of Legacy Church, New Mexico, a new podcast. Carl Kirby Thursday. Dr. Ray Rhodes on Friday. Man, great guests. Uh, Thank you guys so much. As always, share this like crazy on your social media. Please email as well. They can't uh, censor your emails or text messages yet. Anyway, God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth.